we are starting a brand new series. Yippee Kaye! Ecclesiastes, everyone. Ecclesiastes. Uh, yeah, this is not one of the popular uh, series to go through for uh, for most folks because what they think of Ecclesiastes, if you were raised within the church, particularly in the evangelical world, is this book seems a little bit pessimistic. It seems a little dark. It doesn't seem as spiritual as perhaps the other books do. But I'm going to make an argument that's that's actually the opposite. It's actually one of the most powerful books. And in fact, I believe Jesus built his wisdom. His own wisdom is built on the book of Ecclesiastes. And I'll um, explain why I believe that is in a little bit. But first of all, let's orient ourselves. Ecclesiastes. The uh, name itself, Ecclesiastes, comes from the Greek word uh it's a form of the Greek word ecclesia or church, gathering, group. Uh, and so the term is taken, it's a translation from Greek, in Greek from the Hebrew, which is also speaking of group, which is to call out a group and to have someone stand before the group and teach. So that's the short, the short version. Uh, and the short term has been to describe it as the teacher. So Koheleth in, in the Hebrew is um, most of the time translated as teacher, the one who stands before a group and instructs them. Um, Ecclesiastes is written probably during the time of 450 BCE to 200 uh, BCE, right in that, that uh, window there. So although it begins by saying the son of David, king of Jerusalem, and some for a long time believed that it was uh, Solomon who wrote this. So he wrote Proverbs and then he wrote Ecclesiastes. Um, but it's really, most scholars don't think so for a number of reasons. The content, the advancement of language as they study how language develops over the centuries, so much points to it being written at a far, at a much further uh, date including the philosophy that is present within the book of Ecclesiastes. So Ecclesiastes speaks about things like pleasure and like finding meaning in pleasure. This is stuff that is very consistent with, Gre uh, with Grecian um, philosophy. So Greek philosophy during its time, which Greek empire was at the peak of its power right around that time, um, it has all sorts of philosophies on how to respond to things like pleasure, like consumption, like the meaning of life. So this writer, whoever he is, is writing as a philosopher. He is right there with the Greeks and, and doing the same sort of work. But he also happens to be the king of Jerusalem under, of course, uh, the Grecian Empire at that time. All right, so 450 BCE, roughly to about 200. So he is one who is writing as a philosopher. The, the uh, style in which he's writing and formulating his philosophy's wisdom is that there are human pursuits. Philosophy addresses that. So stay with me for those of you who are completely disinterested in philosophy. We're going to get to the good stuff that applies to us right here, right now in our world. Uh, but, but philosophy appeals to the things that are the pursuits of, of, of humanity. All the things we pursue, things like wealth, power, food, people, 
uh, prestige, wisdom, morality, ethics, on and on and on. All of these pursuits in which we are trying to find meaning and oftentimes ending up very disappointed by that. And this is what the philosopher is trying to address is that this, my friends, if you have ever poured meaning into something like a relationship and the relationship would belly up and after that point you vowed you would never get into another relationship ever again because your heart was broken and then you came out of that and discovered a new way of being and a new way of living that is exactly the flow the arc of ecclesiastes he takes the pursuits that we have and he says here's your pursuit and then what happens is that you find and discover the lack of meaning in the thing you were pursuing, and then you discover the deeper meaning for life. That is the arc that you're going to see over and over and over again in the book of Ecclesiastes. He's dealing with the pursuit, the meaning he discovered in that pursuit, and then the deeper wisdom. So the word that is used 38 times that is translated as meaninglessness. How many have started to read the book of Ecclesiastes and gotten a popsicle headache within the first two chapters? How many times you see meaningless, meaninglessness? You just want to go, well, give me some meaning, will you? I mean, if everything is meaningless, this is kind of depressing. I don't want to read this. I just have to look on the news, you know, if I want to be depressed, just uh, flip the news on or, you know, that's, a, that's, a, that's pretty disastrous. So why would I do that? But the word meaningless uh, it, that is translated over and over again this way is not the only uh, way to translate that word. In fact, it has so many meanings that different translators have it as different words. So if you look at the different translations, some of them have vanity, vanity of vanities. Some of them have, uh, have, have vapor. Some of them have, you know, futile or some other word that is used in there. But it means all of those things depending upon the context. And so rather than going down that path and giving explanations around that and giving you a bigger headache, uh, I'm going to just uh, simply translate this as the way that the metaphorical word that is used in Hebrew, which is simply vapor and breath. Vapor and breath. And there is a point that he's making in all of this, and that as we pursue some of these things, it is like pursuing the wind. It is trying to grab a hold of something and keeping something that has no permanence in this world. And we want meaning so badly out of that. And when you try to grab smoke, vapor, breath, it is evanescent. It just goes through your hands. It disappears. There is nothing about it that provides anything more than what it is. Than what it is. And this is the wisdom that Ecclesiastes is going after over and over and over again. That we try to grab more meaning out of things and what they're capable of providing. If there was one thing you remembered to sum up the entire book of Ecclesiastes. I even got to a point during the study this week where I thought, you know what, I could just preach one sermon on this and be done with Ecclesiastes and we can go on. And it, that, that's essentially it right there. 
Ecclesiastes, the entire point is you're trying to derive more meaning out of things in your life than what they're capable of providing to you. And contentment and satisfaction is a gift from God. If you could just be content and satisfied with what these things are there to provide for you, then you will have found true wisdom. That's, that's essentially it. That's the whole book of Ecclesiastes. But what I want to dive into is why we still do the things that we are doing. <laughs> why do we still pursue? Why do we still go after these things? And so that's what I want to look at. So finally, there's something <clears throat> here that may be a little bit shocking. Stay with me. This may trouble some of you. You notice that Ecclesiastes makes no mention of heaven. Ecclesiastes makes no mention of the afterlife. Ecclesiastes makes no mention of one day, if you do all of these things, you're going to get this reward or you're going to get this punishment. He does mention judgment. But the entire book is about the here and the now. And so I want you to think about that because that's actually what I believe Jesus is building his own wisdom on. Is why he says the kingdom of God is right here and right now. And Koheleth, the teacher, is trying to get us to understand if you're saving all your nuts for one day, if you believe that the reason you have to be good is because you're going to get some reward on the other, on the other side, my friends, you have not tapped into the deeper wisdom that is for you right here in this moment, that living a life of contentment and of understanding that all things are gifts to you and to me right here for this moment. But if you can descend to that deeper place of contentment, of wholeness, of peace, then you will have discovered the gift of life and the greatest meaning that life has to offer us right here and right now. Okay, so let's take a look and listen to Koheleth as he teaches. So the writer does this clever thing. He starts off by saying, there's a teacher, son of David, king of Jerusalem. And then he changes to first person as if he's the teacher. And then at the very end, he goes back to saying, uh, back to first person, back to himself. Um, and so we're going to listen to Koheleth as he teaches and, uh, and learn as much as we can from that. So today we're going to talk about the pursuit of pleasure, the first pursuit. After that, we're going to go through the list of all the pursuits that are present there because all of us <laughs> are going to find ourselves in these places. Let's talk about the pursuit of pleasure. Uh, and we're going to follow this outline, the pursuit, the, the meaning, its meaning, and then the greater wisdom. <clears throat> all right, let's all be honest here for a moment. How many of us have guilty little pleasures? Guilty little pleasures. Who loves a good bowl of ice cream at 10 or 11 o'clock at night when you shouldn't be eating it, but boy, does it taste better. See, it, it, there's something about it. It tastes better the later it goes sometimes. It feels like, you know, right around 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock, that's when ice cream tastes its best. Um, there, there's, there's other pleasures. Some of you are chocolate. My dad was a, uh, he used to hide these chocolate bars in different places in the house and in the car because he knew that if we found them, we would eat them. So he'd hide them. But uh, my brother and I were great at finding that. And so we'd end up, you know, finding his uh, secret stash of chocolate. Uh, and that was his guilty pleasure. Um, uh, there are other guilty pleasures. Uh, some of you, it's like, um, you know, if I can just escape from everything and go for a long drive and disappear from my responsibilities, that is a great feeling, right? I just, a guilty pleasure. Uh, some others of you, it's Netflix binging. You'll just like sit there and watch 
hours and hours of a good movie and just lose yourself in there uh, or a book or something else like that, right? So we all have these guilty pleasures. Maybe you can put them in the chat so we can all appreciate and get to know you more. Um, so guilty pleasures. How many of you know what it's like when you're looking forward to the guilty pleasure and there's so, so much anticipation, it's like, I can't wait, I can't wait, right? And then you have it. And then afterwards, it's kind of like, and it's, you know, you feel a little guilty about it. And you're like, ah, I spent too much time. I did it, right? This is the arc we all go through, the pursuits, the meaning, and then after that, the emptiness in it. Now, I don't want to rain on, on your guilty pleasures, not at all. In fact, what I want to do is to help out guilt, because the one thing that's brilliant about Koheleth is that he is not assigning guilt or morality to any of the pursuits that he has gone after, except for when he names one of the pursuits, which we are going to look at, which is morality itself. This pursuit of morality as lacking wisdom in many regards. And we're going to look at that. <laughs> It'll shock some of us here that even the pursuit of morality, there's deeper meanings as to why we pursue that morality. And that's exposed as we pursue it. So what he is arguing for is not that you do it, but what he is doing is I did this. I pursued wisdom and I held nothing back. Let's look at the chapter in chapter two, Ecclesiastes, if you have your Bibles um, on your electronic devices or a physical Bible, uh, open that up to Ecclesiastes chapter two. And we're going to read uh, one through 11 and then um, drop down to the end of the chapter in a moment. So pleasures are meaningless. Chapter two. I said to myself, come now, I will test you with pleasure to find out what is good. But that also proved to be hevel, breath, vapor. Laughter, I said, is madness. What does pleasure accomplish? I tried cheering myself with wine and embracing folly, my mind still guiding me with wisdom. I wanted to see what was good for people to do under the heavens during the few days of their lives. I undertook great projects. I built houses for myself, planted vineyards. I made gardens and parks and planted all kinds of fruit trees in them. I made reservoirs to grow to water groves of flourishing trees. I brought or bought male and female servant slaves and had other slaves who were born in my house. I also owned more herds and flocks than anyone in Jerusalem before me. Making the point, I didn't hold anything back. If you think like I, I didn't really test pleasure enough, I did. Trust me, I got it. I got it all. I amassed silver and gold for myself and the treasure of kings and provinces. I acquired male and female singers and a harem as well. The delights of a man's heart, clearly. Um, I became greater by far than anyone in Jerusalem before me. And in all of this, my wisdom stayed with me. I denied nothing uh, my eyes desired. I refused my heart no pleasure, my heart to delight in all my labor. And in this was the reward for all my toil. Yet when I surveyed all that my hands had done and what I had toiled to achieve, everything was breath, smoke, vapor, a chasing after the wind. Nothing 
was gained under the sun. Do you see, first of all, the arc here? That he begins with, I did all of this, the pursuit. So I joined in with what other people pursue to discover its meaning, the, the, what it could provide for me. And in doing so, I discovered that it was breath, vapor, hevel. It had no substance to it. In other words, I was pursuing it very similarly to the way we all do when we do pursue those guilty pleasures. And it, it is that we're trying sometimes, sometimes it's just, a, it's just a nice thing. There's nothing, no meaning to it. We're not trying to get meaning out of it. But sometimes we're trying to get more meaning out of it than what is there to provide. So let's look at the breakdown. There's four breakdown uh, categories, I think, to the list that he has here. Um, and that is um, escapes, which are things like laughter and substances, uh, material, <clears throat> so houses, vineyards, slaves, gold and silver, and people, which um, are the, the harem that he, uh, that he has, and then beauty, uh, reservoir, uh, groves, flourishing trees, and singers. Uh, so again, the pursuit, the meaning, and the wisdom. The pursuit is, uh, he is pursuing this, but he's pursuing this. Did you notice that he says twice, my wisdom stayed with me while I was doing all of this? So here's the key. He is not saying, don't go after those pleasures, and let's keep as pastors and as churches, let's keep preaching against all pleasures, and let's keep preaching about self-denial and morality. Let's keep preaching about this. No, Koheleth doesn't do that. Koheleth says, no, this is a different category. You have the, you have the Decalogue. You have the Ten Commandments. You have the, you have the 613 commands in, 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 um, in Exodus. You have all of that already. Those were the commands. This is a different category. This is to press you into deeper wisdom so that you actually grow and transform. You see, you can, you can conform your behavior, but if you want to transform your behavior, that requires wisdom. And so this is the literature. The category is different. It's, a, it, it, it's, it's I denied myself no pleasure. I pursued it, but here's how I did it. Different from most people who pursue, who pursue pleasure is that I kept my eyes open the entire time. I did not fall asleep to the pleasure. I didn't lose myself to it to the degree that I did not know what I was doing. This is how animals live, right? It's stimulus response. It's I'm hungry, I eat. It's mating season, we mate. We just do the things that are stimulated and without our eyes being open, without the ability to self-reflect. But the writer is saying, I kept my wisdom the entire time to see what the meaning was in all of this. And that is what allows him to get to the place where he sees differently. And when you see differently, the pursuit around it changes. You realize there's nothing in this that's going to give me the meaning I'm trying to get out of this. And so let's look at the categories. He, the first one is the, the, um, the escapes, laughter and substances. There are, there are escapes that we might look for to ease our pain. The sense of loneliness that sometimes is with us. The sense that we are, uh, that, that we're missing something. The sense that we're 
um, that we're not quite enough. The pain of life and what life produces in us sometimes is so overwhelming when we're carrying all this responsibility that the escapes of life sometimes become attractive. And he says, I didn't just dabble in it, I went all in. And I, when I went all in, I went with my eyes open. If I go there with the desire to escape my pain, to escape the difficulties, to, to release myself from these, these struggles, to somehow find uh, some kind of meaning in it beyond what it can provide to me. What he discovers as he does that is no laughter, wine, in our case, more substances than we could ever count that we have available to us. I tried them and they did not provide those things for me. I kept my eyes open and what I discover is they were hevel, they were empty. I tried to hold on to the laughter that I felt. When I laughed, it felt so good. I released a lot and I wanted to hold on to that. I wanted to continue laughing. I never wanted to stop, but it passes. And now I'm back to dealing with the pain of my heart. When I drank, I was able to avoid the pain. I was able to escape it because the pain is so overwhelming. But then when I got sober, then it all came rushing back. You see, and this is what he's pointing at is, these things could not provide the thing I was trying to get it to provide for me, but I did it with my eyes opened and I saw it. And most of us are not opening our eyes to recognize that actually it's more painful. What we're doing when we're pursuing laughter, when we're pursuing substances, is that we're in greater pain. We're not in less pain. We're not actually free. We're not actually finding joy and pleasure in life. We're miserable. But there's no way to actually calculate that because our eyes are closed, but his eyes are open and he's calculating it. He's recognizing, come Monday morning, I feel horrible. This is not a way to live. There's got to be a better way. So he pursues material, houses, vineyards, slaves, gold, silver. If I have enough, then I will not feel that insecurity that I constantly feel. If I have material possessions, then I will finally resolve this fear of being without. If I have enough, then I will feel like I've got freedom and power to control my destiny, to control my life. I hate the feeling that I'm out of control, that I don't have that in my world. And so if I have enough gold, if I have enough of this stuff, then I will finally be in control, free, having the autonomy I seek. Maybe then I will have the prestige. People will look at me and, and respect me because now I have wealth. I have, I have wealth. But in that, what he finds is that even the respect that he does get, even the pats on the back, even the sense of control and autonomy, all of that is fleeting. All of that is a vapor. It comes and it goes so quickly and it doesn't last. And once again, he's back to the place of saying the whole entire thing is heaven. So then maybe people, because some of us, we don't care about possessions or materiality. We just care about being in relationships with people. People are it. And we even put a moral value around it. People matter, not possessions. And then we go after that. But what we're trying to do sometimes is trying to narrow the gap that we feel between ourselves and other people. We want that sense of deep connection, and it never lasts quite as long as we want it to, because even when we're with people, 
and they go away and we go away and we have to return back to our real world, we're left even feeling more alone, more empty. And even that itself is hevel. And then he gets to beauty, maybe beauty. Maybe, maybe it's in the beauty of life and not these other things. If I have enough beauty in my life, then it'll satisfy the sense of longing, the sense of, uh, of transcendence to connect with something greater and bigger and more beautiful than myself. And he tries that even with singers that may evoke some emotion that makes him feel in touch at that moment with that transcendence, with that beauty, with that, that, that's, that, that sense of glory. But then that passes. And once again, he's back to this is Hevel, this is empty. And so the greater wisdom is let these things disappoint you. Over and over and over again, Koheleth tries all these things, pleasures. He tries morality, he tries success, he tries people, he tries this, he tries that. And then he says, and all of this was meaningless, was empty, was without the substance I was looking for. And you can feel the disappointment. And people have said, see, it is pessimistic. No, it's actually really good news. Because once you're disappointed, now you can begin to see differently. You can actually derive the right kind of meaning from what life has to offer you. Some time ago, I decided to teach my, to, to, to use resentment as a teacher because I would find myself periodically resentful. How many of you find yourselves periodically feeling resentful? Do we have any hands? Do we have any honest people in our Vine 39 group? That's great. I'm glad to see that. I don't face it that much, often very little. But I think what happens is that I bury so much of it that I don't even notice it. And then it comes raging at some point inside me. And it's like, I'm done. And what I started doing when it happened to me, probably about, I think it was about five or six months ago, I remember the feeling of resentment. And I saw it and I felt it. And I thought, well, what a gift. I can actually see it rather than being in it and, and kind of acting resentful and then realizing, you know, much later that that's what it was. So I was in the place of resentment feeling that resentment. And I asked resentment, what are you trying to tell me right now? Like, like Koheleth, I wanted my eyes open. I wanted wisdom to guide me, my wisdom to be with me. What are you wanting to teach me? And surprisingly, resentment said, you're upset because you've done all these things for certain people. And then in the end, they just sort of abandoned you. They just sort of left. And they went on their merry way and did their own thing. And I want a justification for it. So I say, well, yeah, because they're jerks, because they just have no appreciation. They're just, you know. And so I wanted to, I wanted that, but that's not eyes open. That's eyes closed. That's still stuck in the pattern of life that is trying to get meaning out of something that it could never provide for me. And so when I ask myself and I ask resentment, what else do you want to say? What's the truth behind all of this? It said to me, you are expecting something from these people. You're expecting to get something. 
and it's not coming your way. And now you're angry and you're resentful because you didn't get that. Because you're sacrificing as a means to get something in the end, but you're not getting that thing at the end. What is that thing that you're trying to get? This is the folly of trying to pursue pleasures, people, wealth, beauty, and trying to get it to meet a particular need that it could never meet. And that's when the lights went on. Oh, my goodness. Now I'm free. No, not really. I wasn't. I was still resentful, but what at least I could see now. And I allowed it to disappoint me, which was really hard to allow yourself to be disappointed and not to keep going back to substances, not to keep going back to comedy, not to keep going back to the pursuit of beauty, not to keep going back to the pursuit of people or, or possessions, materiality. But to keep in that place of disappointment, I'm disappointed. That's there to teach me, not for me to go back to the pursuit to get more of it. That's why Kohala says, listen, I held nothing back. I did it all. <laughs> like, like there was no, I didn't play at this. I went in all the way. And with my eyes opened and became deeply disappointed that it did not give me what I was seeking. And disappointment and resentment are fantastic teachers because they offer you the opportunity to transform, to actually emerge from that pattern and to dive into deeper wisdom. And when you do, then you arrive to where he arrives. And that is verse 24 in chapter two. So Ecclesiastes two and verse 24. A person can do nothing better than to eat and drink and find satisfaction in their own toil. This too I see is from the hand of God. For without him, who can enjoy, who can eat and find enjoyment? To the person who pleases him, God gives wisdom, knowledge, and happiness. But to the sinner, the task of gathering, storing up wealth, and handing it over to the one who pleases God, this too is meaningless. Hevel, breath, emptiness, a chasing after the wind. So what's the point he's making here? As I understand it, I think what he's saying is, to the person who pleases God, God gives wisdom, knowledge, and happiness. And that's to the one who can actually find satisfaction, as he said in early part of uh, there in verse 24, in their own toil in the everyday. And that to do so is a gift from God. But that those who continue to try to derive more meaning out of things and what they can, those are the ones who gather up storing wealth only to hand it over to someone else. So the wisdom of one side is gather, 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 trying to find, trying to get it to meet certain needs. It never does. And then in the end, what do you do? You die and you hand it over to the next generation or someone else takes it. And that's the wisdom. That's the meaning of that life. That seems pretty meaningless. That seems pretty empty. That seems pretty, pretty bland, isn't it? Doesn't it? But to the one who can find 
pleasure in the now. That is a gift from God. And so could you imagine yourself day to day looking at this ark and seeing it in your life? Yes, there's pleasure that I'm seeking. Yes, there are things that I'm going after. But now, instead of guilting myself that I shouldn't do that and trying to conform myself to a particular behavior, what if I were to seek the wisdom that is there right now in this moment? What if wisdom could guide me? What would that look like? So that I would ask it, is there something you want to show me? And then as I go into it, I go into it with my eyes open. And then while I'm experiencing it, I'm actually asking myself, is this giving to me what I think it is? And then when it doesn't, and I'm disappointed, and I find disappointment and resentment creeping up, then I ask disappointment and resentment, what wisdom do you have to teach me? And then as I stay with this appointment as a gift, but then I come through and realize I'm still trying to get more out of something than what it's meant to provide for me. And so now I can go to the place of full acceptance and gain more contentment in this life right here and right now. Now, will you get there tomorrow? No, this is wisdom for life. So grace, 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 abundant grace to each and every one of us. Because we're going to walk this out. And tomorrow I'm going to get up and think, oh, yeah, I have no resentments. Yay, I'm doing well. And then the next day I'm going to find myself having resentment and going, dang it, I, I thought I, I, was, I was able to really just enjoy things. But once again, I discover, no, there's more. There's more. This is why Ecclesiastes is so rich for us today is because there's more. There's always going to be more. And so as you experience life, as you enter into pleasure, the guilty pleasures, whatever else, that you do so with your eyes open, expecting that there's wisdom to be gained here, not guilting ourselves. And in doing so, I think we will have learned a rhythm for life that's rich in Hebrew tradition, rich in the tradition of many cultures, and that is the tradition of wisdom. So my friends, my brothers, my sisters, this is the beginning to a series in gaining more wisdom in our lives. And I would love to hear from you as you practice this, as you see that arc happening in your life and what you are learning and gaining from it.